This week on the Pressure Cast, Atari announces a new console, Telltale announces three new seasons, and the Pokemon Go Fest was a disaster. It's Monday, July 24th, 2017. Everything happening in the world of video games is here, now on the Pressure Cast. Pressure Pals, welcome to the 191st episode of the Pressure Cast. Video games are dumb.com's weekly news panic that posts every single Monday on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, TuneIn Radio, Google Play Music, and a bunch of other podcasting services. If you want to contact the Pressure Cast and have your question, comment, or concern read on air, it's easy. You can email, text, tweet, leave a message on Facebook, or leave a message on this uh, YouTube video right here. All the links are available in the description below, so check them out. Go ahead. Go ahead and go do that. Man, what a great week so far. It's been an amazing week. You know why? Because I've been playing Splatoon 2, the amazing brand new Nintendo Switch game. And in case you don't know, I was a huge, huge fan of the original Splatoon when it was released on the Wii U, but because no one really bought that console, the player base was a little tinier, you know? This time around though, I don't know, it's like every second I can find a game with a bunch of people and the internet connection is good and I just get to paint everything with ink and it's awesome! So I'm hyped up. I don't want to go back and play more of that, but I can't because we got to do the pressure cast. Pressure cast is important after all. So if I'm hyped about Splatoon, I think you need to get a little hyped, which means we got to get on the train. Juke, 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 juke. Here comes the train. Doo -doo 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 That's right. It's time for the hype train. Feel the PR vibrations as we barrel towards video game satisfaction station on the hype train. This is the part where we talk about all those upcoming video games and events to get you hyped up to spend your money and become a video game guru. And we're going to be starting off this week's hype train by talking about Atari. Yes, really. Atari. Yes, that Atari. Last week, the company released images of their upcoming console, which is known as the Atari Box. I know, great name. Super creative. Uh, and while details are few, Atari has promised the system will feature, quote, modern internal specs, end quote, including an HDMI port, uh, four USB ports, and an SD card reader. Now, you might assume this would be similar to their flashback set of consoles, the ones that you would find at a Walmart or a Target or... Walgreens, you know, the cheapo councils, but nope, the Atari box will also be, quote, be delivering current gen gaming content, end quote. What exactly does that mean? No one really knows, because Atari has no official price, release date, or list of games. At the very least, these pictures confirm two separate appearances, one that resembles the classic Atari 2600 with a wood graving, and the other with a retro-futuristic look that's kind of like I don't know, dark glass. Well, I mean, the, the Atari box, that is certainly something, and I've been Googling around trying to find any sort of information on exactly what this thing is, and sadly, there's no details, nothing. It's impossible to figure out exactly what the Atari box is supposed to be beyond this press release, which is a bit strange considering there's no precedent for this. Atari hasn't made a new console since 1993 with the Jaguar, unless you count the Jaguar CD which was released in 1995, but nobody does. Uh, so unlike Nintendo or Microsoft or Sony, we have a console announcement and we have no idea what to expect because think about it, Atari doesn't have Mario, they don't have Halo, they don't have Uncharted, they don't have those go-to franchises where like, oh, the brand new Atari system, well at least I know one game's going to be on there. No, not the case. So if I had to guess, which 
which at this point is all I can really do, I'd say we're entering an OUYA or NVIDIA Shield-like scenario, just an Android-based console on mobile architecture. But I suppose I shouldn't diminish that because that's exactly what the Nintendo Switch is. That's a mobile architecture-based uh, uh, Android system. Though I can confidently say this will be nowhere near as ambitious as the Nintendo Switch, just, you know, something for smaller titles. But I have two conflicting thoughts on this. First of all, the Ouya obviously couldn't gain traction because it didn't have that many good games. Eh. But also, no one knew what an Ouya was. It's just a weird name. Now on the other hand, everyone knows Atari. Atari, they are synonymous with video games. Even if you've never played an Atari console, you can still see the remnants of the Atari. You can go into any clothing shop and probably find a t-shirt with an Atari logo. And I, but the one thing, that makes me a bit hesitant about this, is just pointing that out. The idea that you can just go out and, and buy an Atari t-shirt wherever you go. There's remnants of the Atari age, because Generation X, the people that grew up playing Atari, they've been catered to. They're in their mid-40s. They've had their nostalgia thrown back at them on a fairly regular basis, including those cheapo plug-and-play units. I think they've kind of got the nostalgia out of their system, if you know what I mean. So, that audience might not be as happy about an Atari box, and younger generations just don't have experience with Atari as a whole. Well, whatever the Atari box is, I hope it's successful, just because I like the idea that Atari is making a brand new console. Even if the Atari of today has nothing to do with the Atari that made the 2600, in fact, the Atari today is not even an American company, they're French, they used to be infograms, whatever. That's depressing. Let's move on. Toot toot. Speaking of plug-and-play units, last month at Games announced two retro compilation systems for the Sega Genesis and the Atari 2600. Now, the company has confirmed, at least at this point, that both systems will be released this fall. No exact date, just fall. That's all we have to go on. And each are priced for $80, which is a significant $30 markup from the previous year's models. At least for the Sega Genesis. I think the Atari one was a bit cheaper. Maybe it was $40. Well, similar to the 26... Uh, nope, didn't want to say that. I almost said 2600. Similar to the 2016 versions, both will feature wireless controllers, a cartridge slot for real games, meaning that if you have any sort of Atari 2600 or uh, Sega Genesis games lying around, you can pop them into the system, and a save and rewind feature. However, for the first time, the flashback units will support 720p through an HDMI port. Uh, when they arrive this fall, the Genesis will include 85 games, including classics like Fantasy Star 4, Sonic 2, Shinobi 3. We just talked about Shinobi 3 last week and Strong History. That game has an interesting history. You should listen to last week's episode. <laughs> It's towards the end of the episode. Uh, while the Atari system is going to include 120 titles, including Night Driver, Combat 2, and Yars Revenge. And yes, I could have just said Combat, but I think it's interesting they have Combat 2. Nobody talks about Combat 2. Almost everybody has a copy of Combat. But that said, I, I don't know. I feel like we're going through the exact same cycle every single year. At Games announces these retro compilations. People get really excited. They're all on Twitter like, oh man, Atari is back. Sig is back. You know, my childhood. Whatever. And then they get these really generous three-star reviews on Amazon. And even with the HDMI output, I can't see that this breaks the streak. See, from what I understand, the Atari consoles are pretty great. I, you know, I know some people that actually will take those Atari consoles, those Atari flashbacks, and modify them. I'm sure you remember 
uh, Portables of Doom uh, from the Midwest Gaming Classic episode. Uh, we were hanging out with those guys. Uh, Jason over there, he likes to take apart the 2600 and, and he likes to add some stuff to it. It's, it's cool, you know, so I guess it's worth it from that end. But the Genesis consoles, which I'm more familiar with, they suck. They've always sucked. The controllers don't feel right. The emulation is bad, let alone uh, if you try to play an actual cartridge. You know, if, it, if it's bad on the console as is, imagine putting in a cartridge and then just having the sound and the graphics just not being right. I'm talking about, especially for the sound here, I'm talking about a garbled up version of the left channel bass and that's it. Like, that is the entire sound you're getting with, with garbled up sound effects. So buyer beware, but obviously they're selling if they keep making these. Toot toot. Let's take a break from retro consoles because trust me, we'll be talking about retro consoles in just a moment. But we do want to talk more about Sega because this week Sega posted a new trailer for the upcoming Sonic Forces game. Not to be confused with Sonic Mania, this is a fully 3D fully 3D title in the vein of Sonic Generations. You know, you got your 2D Sonic and your 3D Sonic merged together, but the 3D levels is what makes this different from Sonic Mania, which is more of a retro throwback. Well, in the video, Sonic encounters a new villain, simply known as Infinite, who according to Tails, is faster than Sonic. Well, great. <laughs> He also looks strikingly similar to Sonic, except he's black and has a red aura around him. Either way, Sonic Forces will come to the Nintendo Switch, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and I believe PC later this year. Now, normally we don't cover trailers here on the Pressure Cast, but Jesus Christ, this one is worth it. You want to go out of your way to watch this one. Trust me, you have to see this. Now, if you've been listening to the show for a while, uh, you probably know that I don't really like Sonic the Hedgehog. To me, it's a dead franchise with a dead mascot. Uh, I just think that once you have several entries under your belt as a franchise, and most of them are bad, your franchise is dead. Not to mention the games haven't been selling all that well for some time, and maybe that's because they were Wii U and 3DS exclusives. No, I take that back. 3DS should have had better sales. But... The Wii U ones I understand because the Wii U wasn't a best-selling console. I guess. I don't know. I figure that's where their audience is. But either way, when it comes to Sonic, I go into every new trailer and every new game with an open mind. Because who knows? This might be the one. This might be the one where, where, where Sega finally gets it right. I don't think it will be, but I go in with an open mind and go, okay, show me what this is, you know? And let me start off by saying, they've been releasing trailers for this game. Multiple trailers since last summer. Last summer is when they announced, you know, the, the Sonic in 2017. They didn't give us an exact title, but that's when we saw the very first trailer. And they've all taken place in the exact same Mediterranean-type city. That's over a year of trailers and one location. Not a good sign. Not a good sign. Second, we have two things that never go well together in a franchise, or at least the Sonic franchise. Uh, a new animal character and a new villain. They just merged those ideas into one and called it Infinite. And if you think it's worked in the past, like Knuckles, okay, I'll give you that. It worked okay with Knuckles. But if you think Shadow was cool, I got nothing for you. I think he was lame. I think he was really, 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 really lame. Third, the drama of this trailer is just awful. It's so bad because this, this trailer is very story-centric. It's trying to build up anticipation for this encounter between Infinite and Sonic. But Infinite He's so cheesy. He's like looking at his hand like the most lame JRPG villain. And he just goes, you may call me infinite. Or however, how does he even say it? He's like, you may call me infinite. You know, like 
the evil glowing red hedgehog is posh. Like he went to etiquette school. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he's trying to sound like he's a real educated dude. He knows which fork to use at the dinner table. It's so bad. It's so bad. And that's all I really wanted to talk about. I just wanted to get that off my chest. Okay. <laughs> toot toot. Uh, moving over to some good news. The critically acclaimed RPG Undertale has a release date for the PlayStation 4 and Vita. Both versions are going to be launching on August 15th for $15. And best of all, it's cross-buy. Which means if you buy one version, you get the other one automatically. So you buy the Vita, you get the PlayStation 4. You buy the PlayStation 4, you get the Vita. Double check that though, because I've, he I've heard of certain scenarios where people will buy a Vita version of a game and they don't get the PS4 version. But I've never heard that, but if you buy a PS4 version, you don't get the Vita version. Just double check. Either way, that's the entire story. And the reason I put it in here is because if you're listening to this, well, there's two options. Either you've heard of Undertale, but you haven't played it, or you've already played Undertale and you know how great it is. But if you have not played Undertale, please, please, Buy this game on August 15th. If you have a PC, you can already play it. Go get it. Just, just go get it. If you have a PlayStation 4 or Vita, absolutely get this game. It's only three hours long, which is really short. And yes, there's replay value, but it is one of the best games I have ever played. And what exactly is it about? I don't want to tell you because I want you to go out and play it for yourself without being spoiled, which also means you really shouldn't Google this game because the fan base, well, they're one of those fan bases that just love to tell you exactly how to play a game. Oh, 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 you want to you wanna play this game you've never played before? Well, let me help you. Here's exactly everything you should do in the story. That's not fun. Don't be a toxic fan base. That's bad. Anyway, toot toot. Another quick bit of PlayStation news. The classic 2007 PSP title, Pandapon, is coming to the PlayStation 4 on August 1st, though Sony did not list a price. The game has been remastered for both 1080p and 4K support. In Pandapon, players control a quirky army that fights to a beat, which means you have to move to the rhythm tap the buttons to increase the efficiency of your fighting, I guess. <laughs> Petapon is a dope game, alright? It's an awesome game, and if you've never played it before, you should really check it out, but to be honest with you, I'm a bit disappointed it's only the first game, because there was Petapon 1, 2, and 3, and they've only been on the PSP. I guess they're also on the Vita, and I guess technically they're on the Vita TV, but you can't play them on your PlayStation 3, and you can't play them on your PlayStation 4, so this is like a big deal that Petapon is finally showing up, and I kind of wish they would bunch the entire thing together, especially because the games are not especially wrong. Wrong? <laughs> the games are not especially long. The games are also not wrong. I'll say that. You know, they're, they're really tight and not all that intensive graphically, uh, but I do hope this encourages other companies, including Sony themselves, to release a few PSP games into a remastered bundle. You know, I, the PSP was a fantastic system. Almost everything on it was a cult classic because no one really played most of the games on there because the PSP had a troubled history where it was very easy to crack so people just bought it to crack it and throw on Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> True story, like the PSP, one of the best selling consoles of all time, the games not so much, it's really depressing. And if you're wondering, like alright, what games should I play on the PSP or if you're wondering, what games would I like to see on the PlayStation 4 being remastered, well let me tell you. I got a few titles in mind. First of all, Pursuit Force would be my number one. It's this crazy action game that I believe was made by Sega, where it's sort of a hybrid between a racer and a shooter, where you're driving up to people that are criminals, of course. You're, you're, you're trying to get to the lead criminal who's like in first place, and you shoot their car, and you even jump on top of it, and then shoot the driver, and then take over the car. So you're always jumping from exploding car to exploding car. It's super fun, and I think it'd be awesome. 
Uh, second, I think that they should maybe port Portable Ops, Metal Gear Solid Portable Ops. Uh, because that game never got an HD remaster, you can't play it on the Vita unless you're in the UK. There's some weird licensing rule. And it's just, it's this Metal Gear game that you can't play anywhere else. And it's not even that good of a Metal Gear game, I want to make that very clear. And I think it's even been written out of canon by Kojima because he just didn't like how it turned out. But there's enough here that makes it worth it because it's a bit of history. And it does have a lot of that Kojima quirk. I'm not going to say it's amazing, but it's pretty cool. And uh, it basically did set up Peace Walker, which set up the final Metal Gear game. Well, final Kojima Metal Gear game, I'm sure. Konami has something to say about that. And lastly, I would recommend, uh, I'm never sure how to pronounce this game, John D'Arc? Joan D'Arc? It's a really good RPG. <laughs> it's a turn-based JRPG that's based off of the life of Joan of Arc. But it's not called Joan of Arc, it's called like Joan D'Arc. Uh, the game is totally bonkers, uh, and it's also made by Level 5, the people that made Nino Kuni and Yokai Watch. So there's a pedigree right there, and it's an awesome game, and it was published by Sony, just like Padapon. So it's really up to Sony to just, you know, do it already. <laughs> Hurry up, man. Anyway, I'm telling you, if you've never played a uh, PSP, highly recommend it. They're super cheap if you find one used. Do not buy them off of Amazon. People have jacked up the price because if you own a PSP, you're likely not going to want to give it away. You're not going to want to sell it because there's so many experiences you can't play anywhere else. I, unless you use an emulator. But most of the PSP emulators aren't that good. Anyway, toot toot. Uh, this brings us back to those damn retro consoles we were just talking about. Over the weekend, the much sought after SNES Classic went up for pre-order, and as predicted, it sold out in a matter of minutes. But just before that, a NeoGAF user discovered a European Union trademark, trademark application for the Nintendo 64 controller. You can actually go online and see the images yourself. It is a white background with what seems to be the Nintendo 64 controller, which of course has the three prongs in the middle analog stick and the big start button and the, you know, I mean, that's just it. The, the 64 controller, as soon as you see it, you, you identify it. There's no other controller like the 64 controller. So seeing that from the European Union, it was kind of suspicious because this just happens to line up with the same timeline as the NES Classic. You know, there was a patent there, and then that was announced. And then the SNES Classic, there was a patent around this time, and then it was released. So just prior to announcement, you know, just prior to announcement, they would always patent these controllers, leading many to believe that a Nintendo 64 Classic might be coming soon. So is it true or is it not true? Is Nintendo going to do this? Well, I don't know. And honestly, I shouldn't even talk about this. <laughs> I really shouldn't. Because every time I say anything about this whole NES SNES classic concept, I get it wrong. See, that's the thing. I'm willing to admit when I am wrong, and I am always wrong about the SNES and NES classic. I mean, last year I said that the NES classic would outsell the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One, and I still think it would have, but Nintendo deliberately gave that console a limited run. I don't understand why they did that, but that's what they did. That's what they did. So you know what? You know what? I was wrong. And then last year, after the NES Classic, uh, or earlier this year, after the NES Classic run ended, I said that Nintendo would probably hold off from an SNES Classic and then just reissue an NES Classic with different games, you know? I was wrong again, because <laughs> the SNES Classic is happening. So you know what? No predictions. Maybe it will happen, maybe it won't. I don't care. I don't care what happens. <laughs> but I can say this, at the very least. If I can't comment on the future, I can comment on the past, and I can talk to you about the Nintendo 64 as a whole. And let me tell you, I've said this before, and I always get flack for it, but the Nintendo 64 
was a bad council. It was a very lackluster council. And no matter what they put on that N64 Classic or don't put out on that N64 Classic, it'll always be true that the Nintendo 64 was lame. And I can already imagine some listeners are throwing down their earbuds in disagreement. But hold on. Let's be real honest with each other. How many great Nintendo 64 games were there? How many truly stellar titles appeared on that console? Let's find out. Let's think about it for a second. Obviously, Mario 64. Everyone's going to say that. Uh, both Zelda games. Uh, Ocarina of Time, Majora's Mask. Fair enough. GoldenEye. Absolutely. Banjo-Kazooie. Another good one. Conquer. I loved it back then. And me personally, I loved all of those wrestling games from back in the day. The uh, No Mercy, WrestleMania, uh, WCW versus NWO Revenge. Lots of great games right there, right? Uh, Rogue Squadron, that's another title that people often point to. Technically impressive, I didn't really like it, but okay, we can throw that on the list. And Ogre Battle 64, fantastic game, really good. Oh, also I should mention there's a really good Ogre Battle on the PSP, which is actually a remake, Let Us Cling Together. PSP is a good system, Nintendo 64 isn't. <laughs> because, l let's think about this for a moment. What could they put on this Nintendo 64 Classic? They can't put any of the rare games on there, so Perfect Dark, GoldenEye, that's gone. Oh, not to mention Banjo and Conker, that is not happening at all. Jet Force Gemini, not gonna happen. Now what about those games that I like, those wrestling games? No way! No way! WWE is not going to let them license out the old WrestleMania 2000, WrestleMania, or uh... <laughs> No Mercy. It's not going to happen. Star Wars? Rogue Squadron? It's unlikely, but they've made deals with uh, Sony to release those old SNES games, so I'm not going to rule that entirely out, but I will say it's unlikely. So what do we have? We have Mario and Zelda, maybe Ogre Battle, maybe Ogre Battle, maybe, 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 and that's it. Eh. Star Fox 64. Good game. Just want to make sure we have them all. And Pokemon Snap. That's a cute game. Not a great game, but it's cute. I can imagine those games also being a Nintendo 64 classic. And I know people like to disagree with me, or I guess they they don't like to, they just happen to disagree with me. But seriously, the Nintendo 64, in general, has aged incredibly poorly outside of Zelda and outside of Mario 64. Because back then, all of the ports were worse than the PlayStation 1 versions because the 64 cards couldn't hold nearly as much information as a CD. We're talking like a tenth or less of a CD when it comes to Nintendo 64 cards. And a lot of the exclusives were pretty terrible as well. Seriously, go back and play Turok. Remember Turok? I was like, oh, this is one of the reasons you gotta own a 64. Turok is so great. You can barely see five feet in front of you. There's so much fog because the processor can't keep up and, and actually render the stuff in front of you. It just can't. And the audio, all the audio was flat and just bad, just bad audio. I'm sure if you played, um. Tony Hawk on the 64, you remember that the songs were like 30 seconds long and that there were like half the tracks were missing because it just didn't have that much data on there. Like developers were very eager to get onto uh, the CD generation, but Nintendo held them back. So they, they, they had to figure out who to go with. Sony outsold them. So the ports were generally pretty bad and the exclusives were really slim to none. There aren't that many Nintendo games on there. And for the love of God, don't tell me you like Mario Party. We're not we're not counting Mario Party. You can count one of the Mario Parties, I guess, but I, not for me. So you know what? I bet they could do a Nintendo 64 Classic, and I'm willing to bet that it will sell a bunch of units. But I can't imagine what the collection is going to be, because of what I just mentioned. I don't know. Don't forget to set your uh, 
send your hate mail. Check the description below. You can send me hate messages. <laughs> toot toot. Moving over to Xbox, once again, we have our list of new backwards compatible titles. And let me tell you, I'm a big fan of this week. First off is the Xbox Live version of Virtua Fighter 2, which if you've never played it, it's fairly different from the most recent Virtual Fighter games. And <laughs> I say that out loud and then I realize there are no recent Virtual Fighter games. It's been almost a decade since Virtual Fighter 5 online. That's depressing. But if you've never played Virtual Fighter 2, really early, really good early um, um, 3D fighting game where you have like moon jumps, it's a gem. Get a buddy, play together. It's great. Uh, up next is Costume Quest 2, which is a double fine RPG. And you can tell by the way I'm talking that I don't think it's such a good game. <laughs> it's really not. Uh, the first one's really good. It's, uh, it's a really good RPG turn-based kind of thing. Part two, just, no, no, just kind of all the charm was rinsed out of it. And for double fine, that's saying a lot. And then there's Frontline Fuels of War which has also been added to backwards compatibility. Uh, I'll give them credit for adding this game. It's probably the most 2008 game ever released. It just has that kind of, you know, post-Iraq invasion mentality, super gritty desert shooter with tanks. Eh, not so good. <laughs> but the final game is the one I'm most excited for, Quantum Conundrum. Long story short, in case you've never heard of Quantum Conundrum, this was a game directed and designed by Kim Swift, who was the co-creator of Portal, and uh, she actually quit Valve to make this game because she thought Portal 2 was just too similar to the first Portal, and she always believed that the fun of Portal was learning the game. Not solving the game, learning the game. And I think she was right, you know, because you go to Portal 2, I don't think it's nearly as good as the first one, uh, even though it's much longer. And that's not to say that this game doesn't share some similarities to Portal. In fact, Quantum Conundrum is a first-person puzzle-based game. But instead of shooting portals, you actually change the world around you. You make everything fluffy so you can move stuff around, or you make everything heavy so it comes crashing down. That rhymed, I just realized. Uh, I love Quantum Conundrum. One of my favorite games um, of last generation in general. I think the reason it has a bad... Reputation is because they did release a PC port and it was not good. It was not optimized. So reviews are all over the place. But if you have a PlayStation 3 or you have a 360 or an Xbox One, I do recommend this game. I love it. Super charming. Just great. Anyway, toot toot. January 2015. Yes, that's how we're opening up this story. That was a long time ago, right? There's not many things that happened specifically in January 2015 that we still talk about today. Right? But developer Techland is looking to change all that. That actually, that doesn't make any sense. But what I'm trying to say is that Dying Light is going to receive even more DLC. 10 separate DLC packs to be specific. All of which are going to be free. I know, right? <laughs> yes, each of these are going to be launching over the next 12 months. And according to Techland, they will feature, quote, New challenges, enemies, master new gameplay mechanics, solve more horror mysteries, and even explore never-before-seen locations. End quote. Wow, this has to be like a Polish thing, right? I mean, <laughs> that doesn't sound... that sounded wrong, the way I just said that. But look at uh, The Witcher 3. Look at all the free DLC it got. I mean, and of course, CD Projekt Red is Polish. And I'll look at Techland. Another year free DLC? This game came out in 2015. By the time this wraps up, this game will be over three years old. DLC is not unheard of, but 
free DLC a year's worth? That's crazy. Now, I'm not sure why Techland is doing this, but I, I suppose it's that they can sell more copies of Dying Light. Makes sense. But this is my conspiracy theory right here. I think it's a goodwill gesture to support, uh, to, cr to create support for the brand that is Techland because they did just become a publisher this year. So maybe that has something to do with it. You know, whenever uh, CD Projekt Red puts out something, I'm sure people will support it because they like that they've received good treatment from that publisher and that developer. So I think that's what Techland's doing. They're trying to be like, hey, support us the way we're supporting you. And I think that's great. Even if I didn't really like Dying Light, but it's a win-win for everyone involved. Good for them. Toot toot. Telltale Games sure had a busy week. On Wednesday, the company announced three separate new seasons for their popular adventure game franchises. I'm sure you've played one of these at least in the past. Uh, first off is the fourth and apparent final season for Telltale's The Walking Dead, which is actually called Telltale's The Walking Dead colon The Final Season. That's apparently going to launch in 2018. The first season was released way back in 2012 and it earned a Game of the Year award at Spike's Video Game Awards show. That was a good year, actually. There was a couple of good years for that Spike uh, Game Awards show because uh, first Telltale won, and everyone's like, whoa, an indie game just won. And then the next year, Journey won, which technically is not an indie game, but it was a smaller game. And then, of course, the VGX happened in 2014, which is uh, probably the worst thing related to video games to ever happen uh, at an award show. Have to preface that. All right, up next is the follow-up to uh, this year's Batman series titled The Enemy Within, which will kick off next month on October 8th. According to the press release, this season will focus more on Batman's rogue gallery, including the Joker and the Riddler, which is cool, because I played a little bit of that Batman game. It was all right. Not amazing, but pretty good. So, you know. And finally, and perhaps most surprisingly... The Wolf Among Us is receiving a second season next year. This, of course, is based off the comic series Fables, and that series centers around a gritty, noir-style rendition of classic children's fairy tales. Now, in case you're wondering why is The Wolf Among Us that big of a deal, by all accounts, this game didn't do well, or at least nowhere near the level that Telltale Games generally does. I mean, just look at Batman and The Walking Dead. Those are pretty big franchises. Fables... Not so much. In fact, we haven't seen anything from The Wolf Among Us since it launched in 2014, three years ago. That's a lifetime ago in Telltale time. Telltale time. But yeah, uh, Telltale likes to stay busy. They already got Guardians of the Galaxy. They already got that Minecraft uh, series going on. And let's be real, there's no way they're actually going to end The Walking Dead this season. I mean, don't get me wrong. They're probably going to end that storyline, but they've already had two sub-series through The Walking Dead, so I'm sure they could return with a new character. I'm sure in Walking Dead Season 1, New Beginnings, they can call it that, whatever they want to call it. Now, if Telltale really wants to impress me, they really want to impress me, because they're showing me all of these new seasons, look at all this stuff we have, they really want to impress me, make a new engine. Seriously, it's been a minute, there is no reason your little, your little mannequin games, because let's be honest, the characters look like mannequins, should be going at 12 frames per second. It's ridiculous. Telltale, make a new engine. I'm sure it's difficult. I'm sure it's very, very difficult. But you're pulling in the bucks. You have to reinvest in your product. That's the most important thing you can do as a publisher and developer. Anyway, toot toot. Uh, so last weekend was Evo, which in case you don't know... I <laughs> In case you don't know, it's like the biggest fighting game tournament ever. It's awesome. 
They cover all the big games from Street Fighter to Smash Brothers and Marvel vs. Capcom. Everything, pretty much. And because of this, there's always lots of reveals for DLC and new games. And this year was no exception, so I've collected all of the fighting game news just for this one story, because there's a ton of it. There's an absolute ton of it, but it's all just about brand new characters, and at least one new game. So first off, let's talk about uh, Comic-Con, because Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite showed off some new characters. Well, <laughs> eh, that's not true. They showed off new characters for Infinite, not for the Marvel vs. Capcom series. In fact, all of these characters were in Marvel vs. Capcom 3. <laughs> they introduced uh, Spider-Man, Frank West, Mike Hagar, and Nemesis from Resident Evil. Uh, Mike Hagar is obviously from Final Fight, Spider-Man is from the Spider-Man, and Frank West is from... Uh, the Walking Dead. And we even got to look at their brand new skills and supers, which is cool. But yes, more holdovers from Marvel vs. Capcom 3. But I think the biggest news here is that the voice of Frank West is back. And uh, I was reading online that people are saying these are new bits of dialogue. They are not recycled for Marvel vs. Capcom 3. And if you don't know what I mean, uh, when they released Dead Rising 4 last year, they got a new voice actor for Frank West, who was like a fine voice actor, but just wasn't Frank West, did not embody the character, and also the writing for that game was really bad. So it's cool to see the original Frank West has returned. Seriously, do not play Dead Rising 4. That game is so bad, I actually reviewed it and forgot to post the review. I still have it. Still haven't posted it. <laughs> it's true. Well, up next with some controversy is Abigail, the brand new character for Street Fighter V. Uh, although he's actually from the original Street Fighter. And if you're saying controversial, what are you talking about? Well, if you watched Evo last weekend, or I guess two weekends ago, there was a, a quick and harsh bit of feedback on Twitter and at the convention themselves because everyone looked at, at Abigail, and he's a big guy, you know? He's just a big guy, and some people went, oh, he's just a big guy, he's stupid. This sucks. But I really dig him. He's huge. He's even bigger than Zangief. And for me, that's good because that means that he's different. Stop hating. And I, I guarantee you, people are going to hate on Abigail. They're going to release him. He's going to have some weird costume. Then was like, oh, I like that costume. And he's going to be at Evo next year. Wait and see. Wait and see. It's pretty much a guarantee he'll be at Evo next year because they have thousands of people piling in to play Street Fighter V. Uh, now we have a character that everyone can get behind. A developer, Akira, is currently working on a brand new fighting game, which doesn't have a title just yet, although some people are calling it Fighting EX Layer, though they haven't officially called it that. Either way, Fighting EX Layer, we're going to call it that for the moment, is a merger between Fighting Layer and Street Fighter EX, but without any of the Street Fighter characters. I'm sure you remember Street Fighter EX, that was the 3D version of Street Fighter. Uh, but Akira has announced that Skullomania will finally return when the game launches next year. If you're not familiar with Skullomania, he's as stupid as he sounds, but that is what makes him great. <laughs> Just a dude that's wearing a skull costume. Like a skull, skeleton costume. Like a black with the skeleton outline. It's stupid. And speaking of badasses, Bandai Namco has announced their latest DLC addition to Tekken 7, and is none other than SNK's own Geese Howard, which much like Akuma will include all of his signature moves and projectiles. Like I said, if you watched Evo, I would recommend go on YouTube right now and look up the reveal trailer for this, especially if you can get camcorder footage or uh, phone footage from the event, because the audience went nuts, absolutely went nuts when they showed off Geese Howard. You probably have seen him, he wears like the really loose-fitting uh, garb, and he also has like blonde hair that's slicked back. 
but the audience was totally shocked when it happened because, well, it was unpredictable. Yeah, that's an inside joke. Now let's move over to Dragon Ball Z. The popular Japanese magazine V-Jump has confirmed that Namek Piccolo and the human Krillin will be joining the roster. Also announced is the future Saiyan Trunks. Not to be confused with the Trunks from Z and Super. This is Super. This this is future Trunks because he's from a different timeline. Goku and the heart medicine androids. Whatever. This is very predictable, if you ask me. But I gotta say, the fan response to this game at Evo was overwhelmingly positive. People were really hyped for it. And I know uh, Arc Systems, the people that are developing this, they make Guilty Gear, they make Blaze Blue. They're great. They're great developers. But I get this tinge of skepticism because this title looks really simple to me. Just really simple. Either way, I do hope we get more villains. That's kind of what I'm interested in right now. I want more villains from the Dragon Ball universe. I want the uh, Ginyu Force. I want Dragon Ball villains in general, like General Tao. That'd be cool. And finally, before we get to the charts, Arc System Works, the guys that are making that Dragon Ball Z game, are also working on a brand new title called Blaze Blue Cross Battle Tag, a fighting game that includes characters from Blaze Blue, as well as Undernight in Birth and Persona 4 Arena. It will apparently launch at some point in 2018. Hmm, neat. I'm curious to see how this turns out. I like all three franchises. They're all three are great fighting games, but whenever they do these mashups, Certain powers get knocked down a few pegs. It doesn't always doesn't always turn out. Just remember Capcom fighting evolution. What a mess. Anyway, here are the games that are gonna be coming out this week. On Tuesday, Fate Estelle, the Umbro Star, will be out on the Nintendo Switch, PlayStation 4, and PC. That's a JRPG I played back on the PlayStation 3. I did not like it very much. Uh, Fallen Legion will be out on the PlayStation 4. Uh, Pyre will be out on the PlayStation 4 and PC. That's the game that's being developed by the same people that, uh, was it Supermassive Games? I believe is the name of the developer, and they also made uh, Bastion and uh, the other one on PlayStation 4. I can't remember at the moment. Whatever, it was like a 2014 release. Uh, Infinite Mini Golf will be on the PlayStation 4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. Fable Fortunes is coming out on the Xbox One and PC. So there you go, you got a brand new Fable game. It's a card game, but it's a Fable game. Uh, Fallen Legion will be on the PlayStation Vita. Oh wait, I already said that. I guess Fallen Legion's on the PlayStation 4 and the Vita. Uh, Pressure Overdrive will be on the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. I like the name of that game. Good name. Uh, Avon Colony will be on the PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC. Citadel Forged with Fire will be on the Xbox One and PC, and that game's gonna be on fire! <laughs> we have a couple of uh, physical releases, which are all exclusive to GameStop, so let's go through those. Uh, Constructor will be on the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. Uh, if you want to buy that, you have to go to GameStop. As will Yonder, the Cloudcatcher Chronicles, which apparently is getting great reviews on Steam. That's also going to be uh, only available at GameStop and only available on the PlayStation 4. But it's also available on PC if, if you have Steam, obviously. Uh, Unbox Newbies Adventure will be on the PlayStation 4. You can also only get that at GameStop. And now, finally, for Tuesday, Call of Duty Modern Warfare Remastered will be on the PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC. And you can buy that everywhere. Don't gotta go to GameStop for that one. Uh, on Wednesday, Dr. Corvax Obliteration game will be on the PC. A turn to a Christopher Walken there. <laughs> on Friday, Super Cloud Built will be on the PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC. Hey, Pikmin will be out on the 3DS, which of course is the 
Pikmin platformer. We'll see how that turns out. Metopia will be out on the 3DS. Metopia. I don't know what that voice was. Uh, and finally, the new Nintendo 2DS XL will be out this Friday, which of course is the brand new and perhaps last rendition of the 3DS. It looks to be pretty good and it's getting positive reviews. So if you haven't bought a 3DS yet and you absolutely don't want 3D, I'm just saying the 3D on the 3DS is pretty good though. But if you don't want 3D, perhaps this will be the perfect handheld for you, you 3D hater. That's going to do it for the hype train. Well, thank you very much, hype train. That was a fantastic hype train, wasn't it, everybody? Thank you, hype train. Thank you very much. Anyway, we need to step outside. Ooh, I know a place. It's always warm with the glow of cold hard cash. I'm committing to it because I started with it. That's right, it's time for... The Chart Park, the land where money grows on trees. Yes, the Chart Park. This is the Par Show. We talk about the legal business and financial news in the video game industry, and we find out which fat cats of Wall Street are going to dip their top hats towards Lady Luck. So, you know over in the hype train, we talk about all the latest video games and events, right? But over here in the Chart Park, we talk about the business side of things, including public relations. And sometimes we have Pocket Talk, where we talk about the mobile games, all the things going on in mobile. Well, this story had all three, but because the biggest part of it is PR, we're going to put it here in the chart park. Yes, we're going to be talking about the first ever official sponsored Pokemon Go Fest that happened last Saturday. And boy, it did not go well. <laughs> Tickets were priced at $20 when they were... Uh, on sale back in June, but demand was so high, scalpers were selling the tickets for over $200. Fairly impressive. Is that why everything went wrong? Nope. <laughs> one of the major reasons, one of the major reasons uh, everyone wanted to go to this thing was because the first legendary Pokemon ever, Articuno and Lugia, well, I guess that makes them two of them, uh, they, they were gonna be appearing at this festival, which made fans really eager to get inside. Some might even say angry to get onto the Chicago park grounds because this took place in Chicago in the middle of the day, which was quite hot. Lines stretched for blocks, and I do mean blocks. There are photos that you can find online. And angry fans began tweeting, let us into the Pokemon Go Twitter account. Then once inside, all Pokemon Go activities were unavailable with players unable to connect to the game or server, which led to the crowd yelling, fix your game and we can't play. But perhaps the most disastrous moment was when Ninetech CEO John Hake took to the stage, being booed, being just booed out of the building before even saying a single word. There's video out there, you have to see it. Now, it hasn't been confirmed totally, but it appears that many people will be getting full refunds as well as $100 in Pokemon Go currency. <laughs> But holy shit, if you haven't seen these videos, I really do recommend you go out of your way to find it. Just just these people standing around in the hot sun booing a, a million dollar CEO. I assume he's a millionaire at this point. He's working for the company that made Pokemon Go. He has to be. And I can't help but feel bad for John Hank because, you know, no one plans for anything to go this bad. And you can already see he is deflated, but he goes on stage and there's just... It all, whatever was left is being drained out of him. You can tell it's just his ghost is just leaving his body. 
But on the other hand, uh, you have to feel bad for these fans because Saturdays are not guaranteed days off for any, you know, for everyone. There are many people out there that that work uh, full-time jobs that have to work weekends. So I'm sure many of those people had to request off and other people have other responsibilities. I'm sure there are people that had babysitters lined up. Yes, I really do believe that there are people that would go to a Pokemon Go festival without bringing their kids. Sure. You know, why do you want to bring a one-year-old? That's stupid. <laughs> They're not going to catch anything. But really, when I step back and I look at Pokemon Go Fest, I'm not trying to throw too much shade here, but this is just how I feel. What was the point of this event? If you're going there to meet other Pokemon Go players, okay. I get it. I understand. You want to meet like-minded people. I go to things and meet people, and I think it's really cool. It's really special when, when there's something you're really into and you meet someone else that has a similar opinion. It's a really cool moment, especially when you can't find those people every day, you know? But spending $20 to be in the hot sun with a bunch of sweaty nerds, and I know that you're going to say that's a stereotype, but trust me, I have gone to convention and there are sweaty nerds and they smell like shit. They smell like absolute shit. I don't, I'm not saying everyone there, but there, trust me, there are individuals that will make up for the rest of them. Trust me. Anyway, I just don't see the appeal in it. And besides that, you know, even this news story will have no effect on Pokemon Go. Players around the world will continue to buy items, and... Well, there's just so many users out there that didn't even have to experience this that it's not going to increase a negative connotation. No more negative than what they already thought, because people complain about Pokemon Go all the time. But they still play it, don't they? <laughs> you know? And even if, even if in a hypothetical scenario, all of the fans were so angry that they just went screw it i'm not i'm not playing pokemon go anymore if for some reason pokemon go shut down today nine tech has already made a mint still if they ever do another one of these <laughs> nine tech really needs to make sure their servers are in order <laughs> moving on our next story also has an equally complicated classification because it involves phone games and pr and new games but yes, we're going to put it in the chart park because PR seems to be the major focus right here. So way back in July, July? No, January, Nintendo announced its Nintendo Switch online service would be handled, for the most part, on a mobile app. Then in May, the first official headset for the Switch was released, and it showed that it required two separate 3.5mm jacks, one connected to the console and one connected to your phone for voice chat. Which wasn't great. Now, during this week's launch of Splatoon 2 and the actual service, even more limitations have been revealed. First of all, the app cannot be used in the background of your phone's OS, meaning you cannot check text messages or notifications. <laughs> okay. Second, the phone must be unlocked the entire time, which means that the screen has to be on the entire time, increasing the phone's battery drain. Unsurprisingly, the response on Twitter and elsewhere was swift and aggressive. I'm sorry, but there is no excuse for what just happened. There is no excuse for this app. It is a colossal embarrassment. It is a colossal embarrassment to phone apps and to old console manufacturers. I know that sounds like I'm exaggerating, but seriously, what a stupid, stupid thing to do. I remember when they said, oh, well, we're gonna, we're gonna put all the stuff on a phone. Wasn't happy about that, but hey, you know what? Got used to it. Whatever. We'll find out how it goes. But this... <laughs> there's no other way to put it. This... This is stupid. 
And I don't want to go off track here, but one of the many reasons I'm skeptical about certain immersive experiences, whether it be augmented reality or virtual reality, is that it prevents people from checking their phones, right? And I know that sounds like a very small thing, but how often do you check your phones? How often do you check your email? How often do you check your Facebook? How often do you check your Twitter? How often do you check your text messages? Whatever it may be, you're always looking at your phone. Is it going to rain today? I don't know. I'll look at my phone, whatever it might be. Oh, crud. What time does that movie start? I'm going to check my phone. Just random thoughts throughout the day. It just, it answers every question you have in your head. That's what the phone does these days. So you are frequently using it. That's why I'm skeptical about virtual reality, right? Okay. And then you do that. You build an app that basically locks down a phone. And I don't care what app you are, you don't get to control my phone. You don't get to own my phone. You gotta play nice with the other apps or else you're getting deleted. Problem is that I own a Nintendo Switch, so I guess I'm putting up with it because I have to review these games. But yeah, there's no other way to say it, just stupid. And Nintendo would better fix this because, uh, well, I guess it doesn't matter. They'll get away with it. They will absolutely get away with it. You know, I give Nintendo credit as much as I can, but this shit, it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. No one else would do that. No one else. Stupid. Anyway, moving on. In more Nintendo news, it appears the Squid Kids from Splatoon 2 will soon receive their very own cartoon. The Japanese manga publication Koro... Koro Koro? I'm sure you anime fans are more familiar with it. Well, they revealed all the news on their official YouTube channel, which uh, says that the series is going to air on YouTube. Kind of a big deal, if you think about it. Uh, fans of Splatoon, uh, the Splatoon manga will see a resemblance as the story and characters are based on the already released comic. The show will debut next month on August 12th. And that's really the whole story right there, but I gotta say, I'm equally excited and kind of disappointed. Now, I know that uh, some fans will come along and, and subtitle this thing so that I can watch it. It's not a big deal that I don't speak Japanese. Or maybe even the channel itself will provide uh, Japanese subtitles. Or, I'm sorry, English subtitles. Who knows? You know, I'm, I, but the reason I'm disappointed is that I hope for something bigger. Because if you go back and you listen to those 2015 Pressure Cast episodes, you can hear me raving about how Nintendo needs to make a Splatoon TV show. But now that time has gone on, I can totally understand why they went with YouTube, because that's where children are. Kids watch a lot of things on YouTube. Hi, kids. <laughs> but this isn't worldwide. It's very Japanese-centric, and I think that's what's, that's what's disappointing to me. I think that's underestimating the potential of Splatoon as a children's franchise. I mean, look at what you do in Splatoon! You're squid kids, and they're, they're little jerks. They make messes with super soakers. That is what every child wants to be. Or at least what I would want to be as a kid, right? Well, maybe it's just me. Moving on, speaking of little jerks, popular Twitch streamer Dr. Disrespect has garnered quite a following for being disrespectful on Twitch. I guess that's kind of self-evident. Uh, in the game PlayerUnknown Battlegrounds, he's often seen intentionally killing his teammates just for fun. That's... That's great. While team kills are possible in player unknown battlegrounds, they are meant to be accidental, with any deliberate kills going against the user and agreement. Makes sense. Like, you accidentally shot somebody, that's part of the drama, but if you're going around just killing your team, you're a dick, and you're gonna get banned. And, having broken that rule publicly and repeatedly, because he was streaming it, Dr. Disrespect was given an outright ban with player unknowns battle Brendan, I'm sorry, Brendan Green, tweeting out, quote, if you break the rules in player unknown battlegrounds, no matter who you are, you're gonna have a bad time. End quote. Dr. Disrespect quickly took note of this, replying to his tweet, before eventually stating back to, uh, Mr. Green, quote, if I could do the splits, I'd roundhouse kick you in the neck, but since I can't, I'll kick you in the front. 
I'll just- no, I'll just front kick you in the chest instead. Lightning. End quote. Wow. Well, Green apparently did not appreciate the joke, responding, quote, suggesting violence is, uh, suggesting violence is the best way to solve a disagreement is just wrong, even if you were playing a character. End quote. Even PewDiePie got involved somehow and said, shocked and appalled that Dr. Disrespect decided to use violence as a threat, he must have played one too many of those violent video games. <laughs> First off, fuck off, PewDiePie. <laughs> I know I'm coming in hot here. I swear to God, though, PewDiePie, like, if you ever wanted to know what were the opinions of video games circa 2004, just go to PewDiePie. This guy does not have an original fucking thought in his head. And just going off of that, oh, see, I'm, I'm making a joke about how violent video games, blah, 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 blah. Even the Supreme Court protected video games as First Amendment back in 2011, PewDiePie. Is that what you're referencing? And I know he's not American, but he always makes American references. Fuck PewDiePie. Let's get back to the point. <laughs> Second, I've got to agree with Green here. It's one thing to joke around with your friends. It's another to hint at real violence towards a complete stranger, even if you're joking. And yeah, it sucks that we can't have that sort of relationship with everyone in the world, but people are crazy. And uh, these types of jokes create a culture that endorses violence. To a response, as a response, to disagreements. Uh, these jokes eventually erode the general empathy people have towards one another. As stupid as that is, and as sad as that is, that is the case. And, you know, it's not the same as uh, writing a script or doing stand-up comedy, I guess, depending on the scenario. But, especially when you're on Twitter, speaking to someone, that's establishing tolerable behavior, especially if you have a following of viewers. So yeah, fuck Dr. Disrespect and fuck him for killing his teammates. Dweeb. <laughs> Next story. <laughs> I like that one. Uh, Ubisoft has released its fiscal report detailing the results for the first quarter of 2017, and the French publisher and developer is off to an incredible start. Uh, March's Ghost Recon Wildlands is the best-selling game in 2017 so far in North America, Europe, and Japan, and yes, that includes retail and digital sales. Uh, for the quarter ending June 30th, overall sales saw an increase of 45.2% when compared to the same period in 2016, with 202.1 million euros. That's a lot of money. I didn't do the whole translating it into dollars. I don't know why. I should have. <laughs> I don't know how much 202 euros is right now. 94.3% uh, of overall sales came from Ubisoft's backlog of games released before April 1st, 2017, which is fairly impressive when you consider that Wildlands is the best-selling game so far in the year, and it's not factored into... You know, it, that, says, that would only be, at most... 5.7%. Uh, Not bad. 80.4% uh, of all sales came from digital sources, which is crazy, uh, which includes DLC, of course, and digital games. That's up 5.1% from 2016. 44% of all sales came from the PlayStation 4, with 22, 26% on PC, and finally 22% on the Xbox One. Where did the other 8% come from? I don't know. I assume Nintendo and mobile, but I couldn't find anything. Um, I hate to say it again, but this is this is why we always cover any news about the Vinvendi hostile takeover of Ubisoft, because Ubisoft, however you feel about them, they are a powerhouse in the industry, and they've already got the best-selling game of the year. That's really important. Now, will uh, Ghost Recon Wildlands still be the best-selling game when the year ends? Probably not. I'm going to say no, uh, just because last year they had the exact same scenario with Tom Clancy's The Division, 
And then by the time the year closed out, that was uh, in third place. Not to undermine the success of, of Ghost Recon Wildlands. It's very successful, but just as time goes on, there's always one or two things like a Call of Duty that will eventually knock off early year successes, especially because people buy more games in the fall. They still do, even if spring is up compared to previous years, more people buy games in fall. So good for Ubisoft. Anyway, moving on to Xbox news, Microsoft recently released its last quarter report, including some very mixed news, some very mixed news about the Xbox brand. So on the plus side, Xbox Live active users increased by 4 million when compared to the same period uh, last year. Though uh, it's still not that great. Here's the thing. Last month, they had 55 million users, or last quarter, they had 55 million users, whereas this quarter, they have 53 million users, so they're down by 3 million users from the previous quarter. Uh, games revenue was up $44 million, bringing it to $1.65 billion. Uh, software and services, they also saw favorable growth up to 11%. Very good. But here's the problem. Users were down uh, 2 million from the previous quarter, even though they're up from the previous year, but Xbox hardware fared far worse, only bringing in, uh, well, no, it fell 29% year on year. As for Microsoft as a whole, the company posted $23.3 billion in revenue, raking in $6.5 billion in profit. And even in the earnings report, CEO, uh, or the earnings call, CEO Satelli Nadala stated, quote, our gaming business is more than a $9 billion and growing profitably, end quote. So I know it seems like I'm being kind of a jerk to ignore all of that growth and highlighting the negatives, but seriously, down 29% on hardware, that's over 25%, that's over a quarter, that is, that is not good. And there's two ways to look at this, either a sizable amount of owners or would-be owners are holding off on buying an Xbox One until the Xbox One X, or they probably heard about the Scorpio, which I'm sure has some effect on the overall sales. Or maybe, maybe the Switch is becoming the second go-to home console. People that already own a PlayStation 4, they go out and they get a Switch. Or I've seen some people that um, own a PC, they would also get an Xbox One. Maybe they're going over to the PlayStation 4, or maybe they're going over to the Switch. But the Xbox brand, in general, has lost momentum. A lot of the momentum that I actually just picked up last year when they released the Xbox One S. Now, they have cited the idea that because sales, uh, they've actually reduced prices and also that they haven't sold as many units. That's why it's down by 29%. And I believe that, but year on year, that's a sizable, sizable drop, uh, especially because Sony doesn't have the same problem. I hate to make that comparison, but Sony actually gives us more specific numbers and we can see that they are, they of course they're beating Xbox, that's nothing new, but they're beating their previous years every single year. Like the, 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 the sales of, of um, the PlayStation 4 is ramping up. And it's actually the inverse problem, if you think about it. Sony, in general, the company is doing bad, whereas Microsoft is doing great, you know? The Xbox is not doing as well, whereas the PlayStation is the only thing that does well for Sony, in general, especially with their movies division just not shaping up. Uh, if the Xbox One X, when it's released this November, doesn't fill in that gap somewhat, the Xbox brand needs a serious makeover. A serious makeover. But I suppose we should wait until Sony releases more numbers before assuming anything, but... I'm assuming this is just not going well. In a surprising bit of news, BioWare has announced that Casey Hudson will return to the company to become its brand new general manager, meaning the former general manager, Aaron Flynn, is leaving BioWare after 17 years with the company. 
On their official blog, Mr. Flynn actually released a statement saying, quote, I have been contemplating changes in my own life for some time, but when I heard that Casey had confirmed that he was up for the task, I realized the opportunities before us. Uh, I will be working with him over the next couple of weeks to help him catch up and do my part to set him up for success to be the best GM he can be, end quote. I've seen some people online trying to connect the failure of Mass Effect Andromeda to Aaron Flynn's departure, because of course Andromeda was released, it bombed, and now Flynn is leaving, but I think that is a bit exaggerating. Exaggerating? A bit exaggerated. There's no denying Andromeda was a flop, uh, it fell off the charts completely, word of mouth killed it, and there's whole rows of unsold games. But they just announced Anthem. You know, at the at the Xbox uh, One press conference. And unless EA is concerned with the quality of that game, I can't see why they would push Flynn out. Especially when you consider that of, uh, Casey Hudson left the company right after Mass Effect 3 and everyone said, oh, it's because Mass Effect 3 didn't do quite as well. Either way, it's a hell of a time for Hudson to return because, like I said, he was the man behind Mass Effect. And everyone assumed he left because of Mass Effect 3. But now he's returning to the studio that made Mass Effect and Mass Effect is over. Apparently, it's going to be on hiatus. Just a weird time. So, welcome back. Kind of cool. Moving on, let's go uh, over to the charts, because this is the chart park. We talk about the best-selling games, and we have the top 10 best-selling games in North America for the month of June. But before we get to that, it's worth noting that the PlayStation 4 was once again the best-selling console of the month. So, let's get into the top 10. Number 10 was Horizon Zero Dawn, followed by NBA 2K17 at number 9, Overwatch was number 8, Mario Kart 8 was number 7, and that does not include digital sales because Nintendo did not release that information. Uh, number 6 was The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, also did not have digital sales included. Number 5 was ARMS, also did not have digital sales included. Number 4 was Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy. Number 3 was Grand Theft Auto 5 because of course it is... Grand Theft Auto will never slow down. Number two was Injustice 2, and number one was Tekken 7, taking the entire month of June. Congratulations, Tekken 7. Uh, a couple of things to to note here. Uh, all of the uh, all of the Switch games are kind of bundled together, so it's almost like we can kind of see the Switch fan base purchasing these things with the. Uh, yeah, basically, you know, it's just kind of interesting to see that. Uh, but more importantly, I think the Crash Insane Trilogy did amazingly well, considering that it only had two days in June. It was released on June 28th, I want to say, and obviously it becomes July two days later. But even so, it still was in fourth place, and it was the second best-selling game on the PlayStation Network. Congratulations. Super cool. Second, Prey. The game Prey. It's gone. It is gone from the charts. It was in fifth place in May, at least, and now it's nowhere to be seen. And I wish we had more data, but according to Steam Spy, there's only 358,000 copies sold on PC right now, which isn't bad, but not quite as good as they would hope. As for the uh, PSN top 20 for the month, it didn't even place at all. It is gone. Prey is over. I think that game is horrible, so I'm, I'm glad to see more people aren't playing it. Although I'm kind of sad for the developer because they need to make money. I get that. But I'm glad more less people are, are playing that game because it's not a good game. And you can go to youtube.com slash video games are dumb if you want to see what I thought about it. Uh, and lastly, third, uh, probably the most depressing news about the entire month of June is that the Wipeout Omega collection completely bombed. It was a bomb. It is nowhere on the NPDs. It didn't place at all. It launched in June, did not place in the NPDs. Well, what about PlayStation Network? It's a PlayStation 4 exclusive, after all. Nope, didn't didn't appear anywhere in the top 20. Nowhere. Now, 
it does have something going on over in the UK. Like if you go to the UK top 10 charts, which we will in a moment, you'll see that Wipeout Omega collection is there. But if you're a flop in Japan and America and all you've got is the UK, that's brutal. That's brutal. Now let's go over to the cursed land of tea and crumpets known as the United Kingdom to talk about the top 10 best-selling games over there. Starting off with number 10, Injustice 2, followed by Horizon Zero Dawn at number 9. Number 8 was Wipeout Omega Collection, which we were just talking about. Number 7 is Minecraft Xbox Edition, which of course is the Xbox Edition of Minecraft. Number 6 was Forza Horizon 3. Number 5 was Grand Theft Auto 5, because of course it is. Grand Theft Auto will never leave the charts. Uh, number four was Overwatch. Number three was Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy. Number two was Call of Duty Infinite Warfare. And number one was Final Fantasy XII The Zodiac Age, which of course is the re-release of uh, Final Fantasy XII on the PlayStation 4. That's an exclusive game, so it being at number one says a lot about uh, the PlayStation, I guess. <laughs> now let's go to the cursed land of bullet trains known as Japan to find one of the 10 best-selling games over there for the week. Starting off with Pokemon Sun and Moon was number 10 on the 3DS. Uh, Super, Bomberman, uh, Super Bomberman R on the Nintendo Switch was number nine. That's just surprising to me that people are still buying that Bomberman game. Uh, number eight was The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Number seven was ARMS, because popular game over there. Number six was 100% Pascal Sensei Kan Pi Kai Point Bombers on the 3DS. That is a long title. Number five was Mario Kart 8 Deluxe on the Nintendo Switch. Number four was Ever Oasis on the 3DS. Number three was Gundam Versus on the PlayStation 4. Number two was Hey Pikmin on the 3DS, which of course is its, uh, it's, its debut week, I want to say. Yeah. And number one was Final Fantasy XII of the Zodiac Age. Now, I can't tell if Final Fantasy coming in first place uh, over in Japan and the UK is because sales are soft overall because it's summertime and JRPG fans are hardcore and they'll buy a game whenever it comes out. Or if there really was that much pent up demand for Final Fantasy 12, which is a great game and really underrated, but I always thought it was uh, people didn't really like that one. So good to see that people are out there buying it. Do I think it'll stay in first place? Hmm, probably not. Oh, uh, maybe, maybe Japan. Uh, no, no, it won't be in first place in Japan. And I don't think it'll be first place in the UK. I think Splatoon 2 is going to take it over in Japan. I'm not sure what's going to take over in the UK. That's just a prediction. Just putting it out there. But what were the best-selling consoles over in Japan? Well, let's find out. Starting off with the new 2DS LL, which is what they call the XL over there, with 43,315. Nintendo Switch with 31,906. PlayStation 4 with 28,569. New 3DS LL with 12,101. PlayStation 4 Pro with 7,649. PlayStation Vita with 4,655. 2DS with 1,901. New 3DS with 12. 1,242 Xbox One with 200 Wii U with 146 and in last place is the PlayStation 3 with 129 which means for the first time in just one week <laughs> the Xbox One is back from not being in last place things are kind of changing up maybe it's because Wii U and PlayStation 3 sales are falling but come on give Microsoft some credit whenever they can get it. They don't often get off last place over in Japan, so good on them. Let's hope this is their hot streak. Let's hope this is the this is the time that they finally break through. <laughs> but that's going to have to do it for the chart park, the land where money grows on trees. We've now come to the final segment of the show where we take a look back at the week that was 10 years ago and beyond to find out if there's any historical events, and there usually are. 
It's a little something, oh yeah, I like to call <laughs> strong history. <laughs> 11 years ago, this week on the PSP, Tekken Dark Resurrection was released. Now, remember how I said the PSP was an amazing system? Well, this is one of the reasons. It was, uh, you know, a port of a fighting game and, you know, it was good. Now, it's one thing to port a console game to a portable, but it's another to port it with 60 frames per second, beautiful graphics, and over 30 characters. And that's what Tekken did. Not to mention, most 2D fighters don't do that. Let alone 3D fighters, let alone in portable form. <laughs> so yes, that was an awesome, awesome game on the PSP. 13 years ago on the PlayStation 2, we'll try this again. Bu Jin Gai, The Forsaken City. I don't know. So here's a game that I always forget. Bunjin Gai was a fairly standard 3D hack and slash with tiny stages and tiny objectives. And if you ask me, it was a poor man's devil may cry. But for whatever reason, it got a slew of glowing recommendations as the years have gone on. People are kind of looking back and fondly remembering it. Even the producer of the game once said, as long as the energy of the fans remains, Bunjin Bun Gai 2 will see the light of day. For sure. But then he said that back in 2012, so I guess <laughs> the energy of the fans didn't remain. What are you gonna do? 16 years ago, on the personal computer, Max Payne was released. And I know it's hard to remember that Max Payne was originally a video game. Ever since Mark Wahlberg made that amazing film, everyone just forgets that it actually was a video game at one point. You know, it's kind of like how people forget that Road to Perdition was a graphic novel, but what are you gonna do? Uh, but in many ways, Max Payne was the first third-person shooter to feel right, just right. And that's probably because the developer Remedy took their time when they were making the game. When they first showed it off in 1998, audiences were blown away by it at trade shows. Uh, they even showed off this stuff called Bullet Time, which was slowed down and this was before the Matrix. So people were like, wow, this is incredible. But by that point in 1998, it had already been in development for three years. And little did Remedy or that audience know that it would be another three years before it would be released. Well, the plot is simple enough in the game. In case you've never played it, you are a hard-boiled cop that loses his family, and then years later, he gets revenge during a snowstorm. Now, that's simple, right? But it turns into this elaborate crime noir story with, with, with side missions into cults and, and crime families and, and, and drugs and inner regret. Like manifest inner regret that you actually have to play through. Not to mention the game launched during the peak of slow motion movies. See, they had planned on bullet time and it didn't release until 2001, which was right when the Matrix was already out on, on DVD and people were just, they were all about the Matrix. So it capitalized on that. Uh, when it finally released in 2001, it showed off, well, it received a bunch of glowing reviews and eventually a Game of the Year awards, but the franchise hasn't exactly burned bright with 2012's Max Payne 3 disappointing sales. But all third-person shooters from Uncharted to Splatoon owe a bit of their success to the first game's tight controls and brilliant camera innovations. So there you go. I love Max Payne. I played it on a bunch of different things. It's still great. I played it on the iPad once. That was weird. 19 years ago on the Sega Saturn, Radiant Silver Gun was released in Japan. Now, you might know the developer Treasure. They made things like Gunstar Heroes and, and Mischief Makers and, and a bunch of other things. And you know why they're great? Because they make great games. But you know what sucks? They are a Japanese developer, which means they don't often share stories about their work. 
So we really don't have anything to talk about Radiant Silver Gun in this segment of the show. But in short, if you've never played it, it's one of the best top-down shooters of all time. Not only do you shoot, but you slash, because you got a sword. So even though you can't learn anything about the game, I recommend you go out and play it, because it is available on the Xbox 360. 21 years ago, on the PlayStation 1, Tecmo's Deception Invitation to Darkness was released. Now, if you're only familiar with the latest versions of Deception, you might assume this game featured all the anime cheesecake of later incarnations. But nope. This was, uh, this was far more creepy, dark, almost sinister. This is where players would, would set up elaborate, elaborate traps throughout a, a castle, and then they would have to kill the invaders. You could either capture them or you could kill them. And if you think capturing sounds more humane, <laughs> just remember that you were keeping them alive to steal their souls, to create magic potions. <laughs> if you ask me, this is when the series was way better. It was a first person game, it was super fun, and you got to be a true bastard. Nowadays, with the anime stuff, it's just a bit too happy and optimistic. Maybe that's just me. There's a bit of, bit of snark to it all. Whereas back then, this game felt Evil. Yeah. 24 years ago, on the Sega Genesis, Echo the Dolphin was released. Now, the 90s were a truly different time. There wasn't really an indie scene to speak of because the industry was so small. Indie was just part of the industry. It wasn't separate. And while experimental titles existed, they usually weren't picked up by major publishers. But for whatever reason, Sega financially backed a game about a dolphin. A strange game about a dolphin. A strange game about a dolphin that fights aliens because the aliens are draining the ocean of their life. And the only one that can save them is the dolphin. It's called Echo the Dolphin. But anyway, to prepare for the game, Ed, and I'm never I'm never gonna get this guy's name right, but Ed Anuzita? 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 I think he's Italian, I'm not really sure. Anyway, Ed read up on John C. Lilly, who was a researcher who either studied dolphins or Assaulted Dolphins. Depends on who you ask. Either way, the franchise had a surprisingly long life with two sequels on the uh, on the Sega Genesis. One being uh, a more proper sequel, while the other one was a kid's educational game. And they even had a sequel down the line on the Dreamcast and PlayStation 2. So, Echo the Dolphin. Why did it stop? Where did it go? No one really knows. Uh, Ed took Sega to court for the rights to Echo the Dolphin, which eventually they settled back in December. Yes, just this past December. But neither party has spoken publicly about the fate of the Dolphin. What will happen to Echo? We just don't know. And finally, 28 years ago, on the Famicom in Japan, Mother was released. Now, Mother, you might not be familiar with it, but it's called Earthbound Beginnings over here in America. And we could talk a lot about this game. We could talk about how they had an American port for the NES that was canceled at the last second and how it got leaked online, eventually released on the Wii U, but we're not going to. That's basically all you need to know about that. What we need to talk about is, is Shigi Sato Itoi. He's the creator of this game and he's a pretty far out dude. He's done pretty much everything. Uh, he became famous as a copywriter for print ads in Japan. Yes, really, over in Japan, if you're just very good at something, you become successful and famous for some reason, and he rode that wave of, of brand new success into multiple different professions. Uh, he regularly appeared on the cooking show Iron Chef. Uh, he voiced the dad in the acclaimed anime movie My Neighbor, My Neighbor Totoro, which is crazy, right? And he even became an author, a very popular author in Japan. But in America, he's best known for being the creator of the Mother franchise, or as it's known elsewhere, Earthbound. 
which all started when Itoi met with Shigeru Miyamoto, the creator of Mario and Zelda. You know, obviously, the, basically the cornerstone of modern Nintendo. And uh, Itoi explained to Miyamoto the concept of a modern-day RPG. I've almost said JRPG, but they're in Japan. They're not going to call it a Japanese game. <laughs> so he wanted to make an RPG, but in modern times. And he had a few ideas rolling around in his head. And Miyamoto, he liked the idea. Or maybe he was just humoring Itoi, because he immediately explained how, how complicated it is to make a video game. Oh, you got this idea for a video game? That's cute. That's cute. But making games is hard. It's hard. Well, nice to meet you, you little copywriter, you celebrity. Goodbye. <laughs> Miyamoto apparently was kind of a jerk. Well, Itoi was dejected. And apparently, on the ride home, he cried. He couldn't hold back the tears. He was crying on the way home because, you know, despite achieving so much success, he got to be an actor and he got to be a very famous copywriter and he got to be on television and people cared about what he said. He wanted this more than anything else. He felt a deep and personal connection to this idea and he didn't know if he could pull it off. Frankly, he even says as much, but to leave it without trying, without actually trying to make this game concept, for him, that was unacceptable. So he went home and prepared another proposal. <laughs> yes, another one. And returned more prepared and spoke to Miyamoto once again. Even openly stating that he didn't know how far this was going to go. He just wanted to see if they could assemble a team and begin work. And he wasn't sure if there was going to be a brick wall or when the brick wall was going to hit. Well, Miyamoto agreed. And he brought over this gigantic collection of paper, which was a, a printed out version of a text adventure game, just to show him how many words there are in a game. He wanted to test Etoy. He didn't want this to become uh, another celebrity game like Takashi's Challenge, which if you're not familiar with that, go look up that one of the worst games of all time and basically just cashing in on a celebrity and Nintendo published it. That was on them. So if Etoy was serious, he'd have to look at this and just accept what was going on. He also would have to essentially work two full-time jobs, which in Japanese culture is insane because the hours that people work in Japan just way different, way, way different than they do here. But Itoi, he really believed in it and he agreed and he pushed forward. And the result is one of the most important JRPGs of all time. It was a JRPG that wasn't afraid to crack jokes or, or show realistic relationships in between crazy bits of humor. And you know, most other games, there were wizards, there were dragons, but Mother told a much smaller and a more personal story with, with a personal sense of humor. And while the game isn't fondly remembered, uh, the first one at least, as fondly remembered as its sequel, well, it's even more remarkable for existing when it did. So, Sagesito Itoi, I probably just mispronounced your name. Itoi, I'm sorry, but good, good on you. Thank you for making Mother, because kind of like the Velvet Underground, this is a game that not everybody played, but everybody that did went on to become a developer. So that's going to do it for Strong History. Good show. Good show, don't you think? Don't you think? If you do, you can email and stuff like that. Let me know. Send me a message. But first of all, we're going to have to close up the show. Remember, if you do want to contact the PressureCast, like I was just talking about, you can email PressureCast at gmail.com. You can text or call 954-947-7377. Leave a comment below on this YouTube video. You can leave a comment on Facebook.com slash VGADUM, or you can even tweet at VGADUM. If you didn't catch any of that, it's really, 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 really simple. It's in the description below. Check it out. Let me know what you think, and I'll talk about it next week. Uh, what's going to be going on for 
me, I just put up a video for Sword Art versus Excel World on the PlayStation 4. Nope, flip that around. It was Excel World versus Sword Art Online on the PlayStation 4. Check out that, uh, no, it's not a review, it's an impression video. You can find that at youtube.com slash video games are dumb. A uh, bunch of other stuff. Go 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 check it out. I'm going to be having a video for Splatoon 2 up later this week, and I'm really excited to talk about that game. Obviously, I love it, but I want to tell you why I love it. And I also want to talk about the things that I don't like quite as much. That's right, I'm such a good critic, I can tell you about the things I don't like. <laughs> about the things that I like. That's called being a jaded bastard. Just sad. Just sad. Anyway, uh, I've had fun. I hope you've had fun. Uh, strong history. Always one of my favorite segments. Echo the Dolphin. Is he alive? Is he dead? We don't know. But regardless, that dolphin, one day, will breathe his, his final air bubble. Because everything ends, except for the pressure cast. Because the pressure cast is forever. See you guys. <laughs>